It is Wednesday, the 11th of September. Welcome to Two Guys, One Cup, an AFL podcast. My name is Will Anderson. And my name is Charlie Clawson. And um, normally it's a much more upbeat start to uh, Two Guys, One Cup. But uh, obviously recording this, it's uh, two days after the very tragic news um, of Danny Frawley's passing. Um, it's weird being a Saints supporter and losing someone like that. Uh, I've been, it's, it, it's, uh, you know, occasionally there are those, I've never um, met Danny apart from being a kid and getting his autograph at Moorabbin, um, but I never met him as an adult. Um, but, you know, there are certain people that when they pass away, celebrities and stuff that you don't realize until they're gone, how acutely, you know, uh, you miss them and, and how much part of their life you were. And, um, for me, getting into football, uh, it was all about Moorabbin. You know, I grew up only 15 minutes from the ground. You know, I'd catch the train there with my brother or my mates. And um, so many of those big personalities from that era, the late 80s into early 90s, like Plugger and Spud and um, Nicky Winmar, Stewie Lowe, like they are the guys that got me into football. You know, they are the, they're the, they're the personalities and, and the identities that, that mean so much to St Kilda supporters. And we didn't have a lot to be excited about back then um but you know there are at least two guys at either end of the ground who not only were like great mates but were, were really great footballers and um you know it's funny listening i've listened to a lot of podcasts and a lot of people talking a lot of uh, a lot of tv about people talking about spud and you sort of realize that um you know that was my memory of him and that's what he meant to me but then there's a whole bunch of people who only really knew him as like the coach um, or the media performer, or the co-host of The Bounce. And you're like, God, imagine having a career that spans like 30 years in all those different forms. Like, you know, people dream about making an impact in one field or one area, but imagine like meaning so much to so many people in so many different areas. So, uh, yeah, it's been a real tough couple of days. He didn't just have one career. I mean, yeah, as you said, Charlie, you know, the revisiting of his football career, and I'd like to ask you a little bit more about that in a minute. Um, then he had his coaching career and people forget, well, I think people had forgotten to a certain degree that he took a Richmond because we, we, we think of Richmond now, you know, Rich, mm. it's got, we've got so used to Richmond being good again. It just kind of feels natural. They're up and about Richmond are a good team. There's thousands of people following them. You kind of forget that they went through such a terrible period. And the only blip in the middle of that period was when uh, Spud coached them and took them, to a prelim. Took them to a preliminary final. And it was a massive time because that was our first hint of what the Richmond Army looked like when they came out of the woodwork again. And you were like, oh, yeah, right. Yeah. They're all still there. They're all still ready to go. And so many legendary AFL stories, you know, from Spud's time, obviously coaching, you know, the, the famous incident where, you know, the chicken poo was dumped <laughs> down at Punt Road and he ended up taking, taking some home for his roses and the famous incident where he was being hound, hounded in the media and he got the hydraulic pump uh, that, uh, you know, they used to pump up all the footballs and he would he held it above his head and he goes, what am I, boys? And no one understood. And he goes, what am I? I'm under the pump. <laughs> like they're classic old school. He was almost like the last of what we considered to be those proper old school inspirational you know full of cliches and bluster yeah. and encouragement and you know like you know the journos all knew that if they asked him enough questions eventually he'd you know tell them the truth at a press conference like well i think and like chris fagan has that quintessential quality as well it's that that old school kind of attitude and that passion and it's all um you know the, the the ability to fly off the handle. Like none of it is done with any malice. Like it's all out of love and a, and a willingness to kind of like take the piss out of himself. You know, like we. I think we all have friends like that. You know, someone who gets so passionate about stuff. Like it's it's just as easy to make fun of them as it is to admire their passion because they go at everything like just like feet first. But also they have the good grace to later 
be able to look at the fact that they were, <laughs> you know, you know that they were being ridiculous. Yes. You know, he had that sense of he would go to that place, but then later kind of realized, and this was, he took that into, you know, some of the later stages of his career because you look at the impact he had around coaches and the way that the coaching setup is now, he'll have a lasting legacy there. But also when we talk about his media work, the thing that it defines it for me, and yeah, we've spoken about this before, I, I, you know, the fact that we only did an episode about the bounce, you know, <laughs> a few weeks ago is the thing that you know about Danny is that he sort of, he'll throw himself into a situation knowing that it might result in him becoming the butt of the joke. Mm. Like, you know, he'll go all in on something and sometimes then the fun will be in dissecting the way that he went all in or the level of preparation he'd put into some bit that didn't work or whatever. But despite the fact that he knew that at least there was a 50-50 chance that when he brought something to the table, it would result in him being the butt of the joke, mm. he would continually bring things to the table. And, and I think that quality endeared him to people in that we all fuck up yeah. and we all make a fool of ourselves. And, and the fact that he is constantly willing to just keep taking risks and doing things, knowing that most likely, you know, that's going to be the result was something I think that just was incredibly endearing. And as a comedian, like I think his comedy chops were underrated because he had a classic sense of mayhem about him. You just knew that there would be... Nothing boring. You mm. just give Danny a thing and go, look, it'll be funny in some way. It'll work in some way. If we just get Danny to execute this idea, we're not quite sure what will happen, but we're guaranteed it'll be like compelling and watchable. And, yeah. you know, his, his willingness to, you know, dress up and, and, you know, all that stuff that he did with Jace. And I think in a lot of ways, you know, the thing about Danny that you also see was the nature of male friendships mm. you know his friendship with jason dunstall yeah jason somebody who's notoriously grumpy and straight ahead you know would come alive you know with joy doing things with spud and you know the 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 connection they had but like i i felt the same way with jb and spud on and gary and spud on the radio when they used to do the rub and i would mm. listen to that all the time was just he had a remarkable gift for working with other people and bringing out the best in other people and and just filling that gap. And I think that sometimes what's happened is that, you know, we forget that he was such an amazing, amazing footballer. And mm. so I, I thought it'd be nice to, like, have you reflect on his time as a footballer because nine years as captain, mm. um, you know, the fact that he took it over when he was 23 or something like that, the fact that mm. he played, you know, what, 250-odd games or, or more. And, you know, the fact, that, yeah. the fact that he stayed. Yeah. yeah, he played 11 State of Origins. Really, but the fact that, you know, Plugger, his best mate, you know, eventually went, but Danny stayed and, and what effect he had on the St Kilda Football Club. Well, I think, you know, when people think of the St Kilda Football Club, they think of Trevor Barker, you know? I mean, that Trevor Barker in so many ways epitomizes what the Saints are all about. Like, glamorous can be spectacular, but ultimately unfulfilled, you know, didn't never really played finals. But in retrospect now, you sort of think that, you know, I think Danny is like the flip side of that because they had a lot of the same qualities. Like Trevor Bark was definitely the glamour boy, the flashy player. But Spud was that reliable dour defender who would just humbly take on the scariest, biggest uh, forwards of the day. And, you know, in that era, we're talking like Gary Ablett Sr., you know, Jason Dunstall, Brian Taylor. Like, these guys were absolute monsters. Tony would, Modra. Tony Modra. You know, these guys would routinely kick, you know, 100 goals a season. And if you could keep them to four or five goals in a game, you're doing pretty well. And my personal memories are his clashes with Dermot Burton. You know, back when Dermot Burton, before Wayne Carey, like Dermot Burton was the most intimidating centre-half forward in the game, not only like an a, a amazingly skilled footballer, but also you couldn't turn your back on him. <laughs> like, Dermot would snotch you. And like, I would remember being, I would have been maybe eight years old at the MCG and being on the boundary line. It was the game where, um, was it at the MCG? Maybe it wasn't, but it it was the game where um, uh, Dermot Burton got done for six weeks for, for smacking um, uh, Danny behind the play. And I remember being a kid and being on the boundary line and watching when the ball's at the other end, all I was doing was just watching Dermy and Spud just going at each other. And like, there's a reason why Dermy turned around and eventually smacked him in the chops and got six weeks because Spud was into him. 
into him, like elbows, like just like elbowing him, kneeing him, but like within the rules of what was, uh, you know, acceptable back then. But it was just like watching these two Mally Bulls just go at each other. And then the thing is, you've never really heard Spud like have a bad word to say about anyone afterwards. Like he's the kind of guy he would sort of think, oh, well, yeah, I probably, probably deserve that. It would have been back in the day where people go to the tribunal and you would never like dob a guy in. Well, he was that classic example too of like that old backman. Like you said, playing on the best forwards in the league and then at training having to play on Tony Lockett. And yeah. what are you going to do? You've, you've got to like use every advantage you have. And back then they were all acceptable tactics within the game. Mm. And, you know, he would. He was one of those guys who would never miss an opportunity to like, you know, clip a guy in the head, you know, pretending he was going for the ball. Like <laughs> yeah. that was the style of football that he played. And it was incredibly effective at the time. But he, he made it his mission. It wasn't like he yeah. went out one day and decided, I'm going to play like this. He was just like, this is how I will play. Every single game, every single day, part of what makes me me is mm. that from the minute you go out there, but then is able to sort of that, you know, that old um, cartoon, you know, the, you got the, what is it, the wolf and the sheep or the morning Ralph morning, uh, yeah, yeah. you know, like that thing that all day they're trying to, you know, Kill each one's other. trying to eat the other, but you know, as soon as that's done, as soon as you clock in, clock out, then, yeah. you know, it's just it's just a job. And I think he seemed to have that attitude. Well, the fact that him and Jace became such good mates afterwards, and they would definitely have lined up on each other, and they definitely would have been throwing elbows and fists back in the day. I mean, the other thing that I think of with Spud, you know, is I think he was underrated as actually a quality, skillful, athletic footballer, because he... We, you know, we joke about Jerry McGovern having that country, uh, country footballer physique, and Spud was a bit the same. You know, he just kind of was thick all over, but he was actually very quick and pretty skillful. And he was the kind of guy who, I mean, back then it was more one-on-one contests, but he would, he was often the guy who would sort of float in and take that intercepting mark and set up a lot of play. And because he was so big, if he got on a run out of the back line, and that was when you had Strelo at centre half forward and Plager at full forward, so if you could actually get movement, you know, out of the back line. Uh, you know, and yet Spud charging through the center square, we actually we actually set up a lot of plays. And especially, I mean, that was, that was the kind of golden era of being at Moorabbin, you know, with those players from what a spine we had back then, you know, the, the players we had playing through the middle and up forward and then Spud down back. Um, and I don't know if it, this was Spud in particular, but I'd like to think it, maybe I'm retrofitting this memory, but there was a game at Moorabbin similar to the Lee Matthews incident where I think it was Brian Taylor and Spud were uh, chasing ball over the boundary line and tackled each other and knocked over a point post. <laughs> and a runner had to come up and hold up the point post until the siren went so they could come out and get some wooden stakes to put the, the point post back up. Um, one of the things that Jared Healy said on Monday night, and I thought all the football media, by the way, has done a really exceptional job, um, particularly on Monday night when all those shows only found out a few hours beforehand, uh, what had happened, the way that the Fox footy family, um, the way that uh, Channel 7, the way that uh, SEN and Triple M are doing a, a simulcast on Saturday of the original Rub team are going to get back together. So Gary's at SEN now, um, but they're going to broadcast on uh, both stations as they remember him. There's been some really, really classy decisions made about how to represent him. And, mm. you know, obviously there's some enormous tragedy around the story that has to be acknowledged, but there's been a great celebration of him. One of the things that I didn't realise was quite how athletic he was. Jared Healy said on Monday night that he said that these days he think he'd play as a midfielder, like mm. a big midfielder, because yeah. he's apparently had like quite an enormous tank and since he's run like marathons and all sorts of things. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the nice thing that's come out of this last two days is all the people posting videos and memories. And um, there was one posted by Nerily Meadows, which was him coaching his daughter's uh, uh, old Halebury football team and like that was when I got choked up just when you saw that like you just saw the passion the guy had for not the game but the people who played the game and women's footy in particular and at this point in time when women's football you know is trying to uh, make up ground and to have a voice like that an advocate for that in the game it's just uh it's just really tough it's just really tough that we you know he won't be here anymore the thing if there's a like, you know, and you look for positives in a situation where there doesn't feel like there's a lot of positives. But I think that the, I mean, it's it's so sad that Danny couldn't see the massive 
you know, love that people had for him and the massive contribution he had made because he made, as you said, Charlie, big contribution as a player, massive, Hall of Famer at St Kilda, you know, uh, an exceptional footballer. Um, then the fact that he, you know, coached finals as an AFL coach, that's a career, you know. If you if you manage to coach an AFL team for four years and you're coaching the finals, you can call yourself an AFL coach, you know, who had mm. some success in your time. He was an administrator and then the fact that he, you know, had this incredibly successful media career, you know. Uh, he, he, he has left an enormous legacy on the game. But I think one of the most important ones was how open he was around his struggles with his mental health. Mm. Like the fact that Danny Frawley, this guy who was, you know, the hard, like, you know, like you said, Charlie, the hardest man in the AFL at the time, you know, mm. the guy who would use every advantage and his toughness and whatever to the, the fact that this guy was coming out and talking about the fact that he was struggling and that he'd had his issues and how things affected him. I think people like him, people like Wayne Schwartz, they have an, there are a lot of men in our society, you know, suicide is an epidemic. One in, you know, what there's six to six or seven men a day, I think, we lose to suicide in Australia. It's a stagger, staggering statistic. And the fact that he had talked so openly about his mental health. And then on Monday night to see, uh, the one that got me was Jonathan Brown. Mm. Yeah, he he knew him. He talk, told this story, uh, like, um, about being at a junior camp and, you know, having having Spud there and then going on that same thing as an AFL footballer himself with Spud later. And he just, he, he choked up like he couldn't get the words out. And I started crying on the couch because I was like, this is great, this bit. Like it's a, it's a tragic, horrible, horrible circumstance. But mm. the bit that's great is that we don't live in a world anymore where people like Jonathan Brown, again, you know, one of the great tough players feels embarrassed or whatever about crying on TV because something really terribly sad happened. And mm. I think the more that we can acknowledge that it's okay for people to go through these things and that lots of people are going through these things and it's okay to share your emotions and your stories, the, the advance towards being able to prevent people getting to the point where they don't think there's anything left for them. Anyway, I think I'm, I'm glad I'm, it's been encouraging to see how open everybody has been mm. with their emotions and it's just sad that it's taken something so tragic to, you know, have everybody do that. Yeah. And I guess just to, to finish off on, on this part is that, you know, I really think um, for Saints supporters out there, you know, Danny in a lot of ways, maybe more than Trevor Barker, epitomizes what it is to be a Saints supporter because I, there is this sort of lovable loser kind of like a persona we carry around with ourselves which is like we've never had that great success but we still throw ourselves into supporting this club with the same level of enthusiasm that spud had you know like you know we in if, if he's like if he was like the blue collar captain the blue collar like hall of famer then that's how saint supporters feel about our club you know as we love our club passionately and we love afl passionately we've never had that success but and I really think that that's maybe why, you know, he touched not just so many at St Kilda, but uh, but um, in the AFL wider community. Yeah, it's uh, yeah. Well, as you said, Charlie, like we could we in in some ways we could talk talk for another hour and mm. you know recount memories and those sort of things. But um, anyway, we wanted to talk about him, and uh, I only met him a couple of times. I certainly did not know him well, but. He was one of those people that from everybody that I've spoken to in the last couple of days and obviously it's been a pretty big thing in it uh, at, at Triple M. Um, you know, he was a huge member of that family for a very long time and, you know, we, we dedicated all three hours of our show basically to memories of him yesterday and, um, you know, hearing those back, you know, hearing some of those great radio moments. He was super entertaining and it was very... It was actually very fun to, you know, celebrate him. It's just sad that it took something so tragic for us to be able to do it. But, um, yeah, rest in peace and love to all his family and, you know, who are obviously going through an incredibly, incredibly difficult time. Yeah. Um, oh, right. We should mention if there's anybody, you know, who is feeling shit yourself, um, you know, Lifeline and Beyond Blue and places like that are always uh, great resources if you feel like uh, you don't have anyone to talk to. 
Yeah, and we'll put a link in the description below this episode if you feel like you need to talk to someone. Um, but on to the football. Uh, should we start with the uh, the final we had first-hand experience with? All right, now on to a topic even more depressing. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, yeah, look, yeah, it was yeah. no good, was it? Uh, we, went, we went out to the footy on uh, Saturday. We had to, a David. Uh, yeah, went out to Giants Giants Stadium, uh, which I quite enjoyed. I must admit, it's like not a bad place to watch the football. It's good, and, isn't it? Uh, can't get got, can't get hot jam donuts, which infuriated me. Halftime, I circled the entire ground looking for hot jam donuts and could not find one. A, a nay well, one. firstly, I love the idea that you can circle the ground. Yeah. When I went on a little walk as well, I was like, oh, you can keep. Because you're just so used to being at grounds where eventually you run into a fence that they won't let you through or yeah. something. Whereas at there, they're like, I oh, don't know, go wherever you want. Do you want to see the rooms? I was getting drinks out of the members bar. No problem. <laughs> Security were like, come in. We can't believe there's anyone in here. Yeah. Oh, they could not believe there was that many people there, though, because it's, it's, it's certainly fair to say that their catering arrangements aren't set up for having crowds at that venue. No. It felt like the fact that there were people there was really getting in the way of their business model. Yeah, it was like the, it was like being at a twenty first that's been crashed. It's like suddenly yeah. there's lines lines to the bar. Somebody out the back's just going. They must have put the invitation on Facebook. <laughs> well, because we um, sh- and sh- you can do a little. You know the thing I love because the ground is small. Also, is they have quite a wide variety of food. Yes, they don't have repeats. No, you're so used to going. Oh, if I walk by this like chip place now or this like subway now, it doesn't really matter because in like. 300 meters there's going to be another subway but in that place it's just like no 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 there's one option of each you have to walk around the entire ground to know what your choices are it's actually quite a nice ground though in terms of like the quality the the turf and the and the layout and the vantage points and stuff like the wings are a little wide because we were sitting yeah, when it's way over the other side it can be a bit difficult but the screen's pretty easy to see yeah the screen with the instructions uh explaining what each of the rules are <laughs> I did like that. Big cartoon whistle pops up explaining what the decision is. <laughs> and then in between, a different Giants players like come up on the big screen and encourage the crowd to get fired up, Yeah, uh, which is pretty funny. And, and the, then... Oh, yeah. I was going to say, then the piping in of artificial chanting through the speakers. I mean, come on, AFL. It was really disconcerting. At first, I got fooled. I was like, wow, that guy is cheering exactly the same thing after every goal. And then I looked up and realized it was being played through the speakers like we're at a Kiss concert. So we are, we are sitting on the wing and I just assumed it was in the stand above us. Yeah. And it was like a, it was a GWS Joffa type. Yes. Who had like a loud imposing voice and was like screaming from, from up there. Now... That doesn't make sense in retrospect because anyone who's that passionate about GWS would not have to sit up on the balcony. <laughs> they would make a spot for them right down on the fence. But it turns out, yeah, that they've got pre-recorded, like, you know, go Giants chants that they play through the speakers. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, I would record like five different chants and, and just randomly select them. The problem was... It was the same chant. It felt like we were in some kind of like simulated reality. And the thing that tipped us off is that guy keeps saying the same thing at exactly the same time. It's, it's interesting that they don't let somebody do it live at the very least. Yeah, just hire an actor. Just get, a, get somebody who understands the rules of AFL and get them to do random cheers. Yeah. I mean, we know for a start that Alex Williams barracks the GWS Giants. He is an actor. I'm sure you could get him down. Throw him some... You give him like... You give him 15 lines he can choose from. (laughs) And he just uses the ones that are appropriate. You can pre-approve them. You don't need to have him improv. But he's smart enough to choose the appropriate line for the situation. Yeah, don't tell him how to act. Just give him the script and let him find the character. Yeah, exactly. You just give him like 12 to 15 scenarios you know will come up. Like, you know, something around Toby Toby Green doing something against the rules. And you can just... <laughs> so were you, uh, were you aggrieved at the fact that Toby got off? Nah. Nah. No. Like, uh, Bontempelli said he, he didn't see anything because he had some fingers in his eyes <laughs> at the time. And... <laughs> I think it no. looked worse than what it was. Like, I think it... It looked well. You'd wanna, you'd wanna hope it looked worse than what it was, or otherwise he should not be playing until mid next season. Because <laughs> yeah. if it looks like what it was, it was fucking shit. 
It is funny though, like of all the players who you think would be like, you know what, I've been suspended for, well, I've been ch- guilty six, 16 times or charged 16 times or something like that. Maybe I just need to reel it in a bit. He does, doesn't give a shit. It's like a sociopath. Uh, like last night when they were putting up all these charges, like on the screen they'd put up, like so they were listing every time he's been charged at a tribunal and what the result was. And it filled the screen to the point where, because they had his face on the screen and then they started putting all the charges up. And by the end of it, he looked like Wilson from Home Improvement, just like only showing the top bit of his head over the fence. He was... He's, a beard, but you know he what was I, wearing a beard of offences. <laughs> you know what I loved was his little uh, press conference afterwards where they've asked him about, you know, um, uh, you know, he was very like, I apologise to the Bulldogs, I apologise to Marcus, you know, I didn't do this, blah, blah, blah. And uh, then one of the journos is like, will this stop you from playing on the edge? Nah. And then he just gives this look of like, what the fuck are you talking about, <laughs> mate? It will in no way... Stop me. I am the motherfucking joker. I just want to watch shit burn. I'll karate kick you right now, motherfucker. (laughs) I can't get suspended for karate kicking a journalist, can I? No rule against that. In fact, bring your eyes over here. Massage, massage, (laughs) massage, massage. I'm a fucking maverick. Fuck you, will it stop me? Play on the edge. I am the edge. I'd completely forgotten that there was some ill feeling because of the last time you played them with what had happened with uh, Bontempelli and, and Hayne, right? That's what that's the that, that's the talk. Is it was a bit of a squaring up? Yeah, and we have a bit of a history anyway. There's like you know the two clubs have had a whole bunch of pivotal games against each other, and in the short time we have a bit of a, a history. And yeah, Bontempelli, um, they they were. I think they all thought that it was accidental, but they think they were aggrieved by the fact that the AFL didn't ask for the medical report before. Well, they should have been hunting down Michael Christian, not Marcus Bontempelli. That's what they should have done. Toby Green should have grabbed Michael Christian in the car park and tried to scratch his eyes out rather than Marcus Bontempelli if that was the one that they had a problem with. Yeah, but if you can't be with the one you want to punch, punch the one you're with. (laughs) It's terrible advice. Don't listen to that. (laughs) They were good, though. They did look good. It was um, was sitting amongst the Bulldogs' faithful – Things quickly turned after uh, you showed a bit of fun in the second quarter, but then that third quarter and they pulled away. And I have to say, Will, like I, I have gone to many a Bulldog game with you and I know your crew. I know the guys that you sit with and they're all cool. But there was a group behind us who potentially were the look, I'm not, I'm not going to say they're the worst supporters in the entire of the AFL, but they must be some of the Bulldogs worst supporters. They were so annoying, so annoying. The stuff they were yelling out, just this, the idiocy, the, 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 the blatant one-eyed nature. I mean, I'm all for one-eyed supporting, but at least dress it up with some comedy or some irony or some self-deprecating humor. This was just like idiocy. Well, what I will say is firstly, a big hello to all the um, f- listeners to the podcast that were at the game. Yes. We constantly were running into people who listen to the podcast and... Uh, like the GWS supporters, they're good supporters actually. They're very passionate, the GWS supporters, and like uh, they, they really do enjoy the game. So, big shout out! And they've got a very catchy song. Yeah, I will say that we were humming it, it does, all the way home. I know it does soften the loss a little bit, even when you're devastated. That that tune is real catchy. Yeah, it stays in your head. And um, so, I look. You don't want to make fun of Bulldog supporters. I do, um, but. <laughs> All I would say is, if I would say something, is it was hard to find a consistent position with them. Oh. Like, the problem was, that, that, like, you were like, hey, GWS, stop punching Marcus Bontempelli. That would be the gist of some things that they were saying. Yeah. And you were like, well, fair enough. That's a position I can get behind. I'd prefer if they weren't punching him all the time as well. I concur. Good gentleman. But then a minute later, they'd be like, he's turned his back, punch him. And yeah. I'm like, hang on, are you pro-punching or anti-punching? I do not understand what your position on punching behind the players. But what about also like just the just this sheer den- denialism of like Jeremy Cameron's an overrated player. <laughs> Josh Kelly's no good. The only reason he gets touches is because he's looked after by the umpires. It's like, oh, come on. He's a superstar. They're both superstars. Like, I can understand being one-eyed. Just keep that shit quiet. Don't make yourself look stupid. Yeah, I mean, at one stage, I was going to call to Toby Green to come up and uh, 
eye, eye gouge the guy behind us yeah. just so that he would stop. But they were also things. so convinced of a conspiracy, so convinced that one umpire in particular, one. One, one umpire. umpire. The but reason then, that the Bulldogs lost this final was because of one umpire, number 22. Number 22. And I know it was number 22 because <laughs> it will be implanted in my brain from the amount of fucking times I had to hear number 22 and then some Fox Mulder style conspiracy theory about this fucking umpire that controlled the banks and Hollywood <laughs> and the GWS game. But then, when you started getting some decisions your way from the same umpire, that still wasn't good enough for them. Now the guy's so incompetent, just randomly you're getting free kicks now. There's no conspiracy there. It's just that he's so bad at doing his job. Things have gone backwards and now you're getting free kicks. They were flip-floppers as fans. That's what I would say. It was hard, it was hard to follow the train of thought. What was more annoying, the pre-recorded GWS chant above us or those guys sitting behind us? Oh, absolutely no fucking doubt in my mind that if I had to go out and have a drink with one or the other, it would be the pre-recorded Giants <laughs> chant. One hundred percent. Don't need the thinking music. Lock it in. No, here's what I will say um, to the guys. Uh, th- these guys is at one stage the president of the Bulldogs, Peter Gordon, who was sitting in front of us. Mm. Um, turned around after one of the comments to ask who it was that had said the comment and I did not dob them in. I, 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 in that situation, I had the option to point out that it was who it was, but I like, was like, you know what? They're just little footy. We're losing. Whatever. They're saying things. Why do I care? Why? It doesn't matter. You know what? I'm actually convinced that number 22 is giving us a hard time. <laughs> I've always enjoyed my Bulldogs games that have gone to with you guys. I like the guys you hang out with. I like where you sit. I think the banter is all pretty good, all very accommodating. But those guys, they put a. Thank God you didn't win. I don't think I would have been able to bear it if those guys had been sitting behind me crowing. It would have been terrible. Yeah, it was like uh, it was like a, a really, really shitty version of the two old guys from the Muppets. Yeah, really. Not even funny. Kept- Just make a joke. Not even not not even one gag, just like dumb, ignorant, stupid things. Like to the point where you and I started muttering like retorts to each other after they would say something. They would be like, "Oh, that's not a free kick," and we'd say, "Actually, it is a free kick." According to the rules, if you hit someone above the shoulders, it's a free kick. We were subtweeting them. (laughs) Totally. Uh, but you were okay with the loss. You said before the game that, considering where you came from at the start of the year, that you think you made finals. You, you, you probably were going to be up against it anyway. Do you think the bye worked against you as a in the almost a reverse of twenty sixteen? Yeah, po- possibly. But all, what I would also say is, I always thought that if GWS played at their best, that they were going to be very hard for us to beat because, particularly their tall forward line, I just. That's been my worry all season is that we just don't have – when we play against tall teams, we just don't have the back line to compete against them. And I just worried. And that's what happened. Like Finlayson, we almost had enough. You know, we were doing all right on Cameron. You know, Himmelberg was being handled okay. But there was just one too many big agile guys and then it just broke us open, I think. But when when Whitfield kicked that goal, that really incredible goal in the, early in the first quarter, I was yeah. like, oh, they're on here. And they were. They were great. Yeah. And they made us look like boys. Yes. I mean, we are. We're a young team, but they made us look like. There was like- a considerable size difference that you could see yeah. from where our position on the ground anytime the ball came out in our wing. They were just much more seasoned, which actually I think, you know, we'll look at next uh, this week's games, but – I wonder if that'll actually put them in a good position against something like a team like Brisbane. Just that extra finals experience, just a few more games under the belt. I mean, especially no more apparent than Tim English going up against Shane Mumford. I thought Tim English played a really good game. I thought he was probably one of your best players. But I agree. I mean, there's, you could fit two of him inside one mummy. It, yeah, it's, it's not fair. No. It, it feels like... It felt like somebody had snuck in an overage kid into a juniors match. Yeah. You're like, there's no way that guy is under 15s. He's got a mustache. If, if you stacked two, two Tim Englishes in front of yeah. each other, that's the same width of one Shane Mumford from back to yeah. chest. 
Shane Mumford is two Tim Englishes in a trench coat trying to get into a movie. <laughs> Uh, did you see the West Coast game? West Coast uh, Essendon game. Yeah, West Coast were really good. Essendon really good. Much. Were, yeah, but it's hard to tell because Essendon, Essendon went in with so many injured players and no momentum and all those sort of things. But West Coast, West Coast looked really good. I think. I mean, having Nick Nat back just isn't he? He's got that Rioli factor where it's like even if he just gets like eleven touches, he's such an impact player and he's such a presence around the ground. Like that chase down of Saad was so exciting. That was like to me the play of the night. It wasn't particularly influential and in where the ball went after that, but it was just the psychology of this dude who's like 120 kilos, you know, fucking six foot or whatever, chasing down the fastest guy in the AFL. It's just awesome. But also he has that element of like when he threw uh, Merritt into the fence because Merritt yeah. pulled his hair. Um, it was like when Ant-Man turns into giant Ant-Man yeah. and like just starts like throwing things all over the place. You're like, again, it's it's incredible to watch. I mean, he was lucky. He was lucky he just got a fine for that. That could have... The look I, on I'd Merritt's say- face, because to me, I thought that was accidental. I think he was just trying to grasp onto like his jumper or whatever yeah. as he's getting thrown across the line. And then he realizes what he's done and he's like, it's amazing because all this happens in a split second, but it's like, I cannot inflame the situation yet. I cannot be seen to back down. So I'm just going to stand with my chest out and just take what's coming. (laughs) He just gets ragdolled into the fence and it's like, oh, good on you, man. That was probably the the best you could do it because Toby Green wouldn't have done that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, no, there was a slight look on Merritt's face of, oh, dear God, what have I done? Yeah, well, to keep with the Looney Tunes metaphors, he just held up that sign that says, you're like, yikes. <laughs> this, hasn't, this hasn't ended well. Yeah, it was. Um, I went around to watch it at a mate's place as an Eagle supporter, and I think I, I left my place after the first quarter, and by the time I got there, in the second quarter, it was all over. So I ended up stayed, watched the first like half of the third quarter. It's like, I think I pretty I know where this is going to go. So where do you put Essendon's season then? Like, if you're a Bombers supporter, and I know they're hungry for success, like, is this been a wasted season considering the draft picks you got? Or do you go, well, injuries didn't help them this year and they, they couldn't really get any consistency? I, yeah, I think that's... I, I think that they've done fine with all okay. the injuries they had and... and I think that, I mean, I don't think you'd be so excited that you know exactly where they're going. That'd be mm. the problem. You're like, what's their, I think you have more idea with the Bulldogs of where that next step might be and where it might be going. But Essendon at their best, I mean, they made the finals, you know, and they had a whole bunch of injuries to key players and they still made the finals. So you would hope that, you know, you get players back, you get everyone a bit more fit, you put a preseason together, everyone's played together a little bit more, that you know, they're going to be there and thereabouts. And Wush has been backed in to coach next year. Yeah. And so I that think means that's a, a good thing. Well that, mean, well, that means he's gone. I mean, they haven't, yes. They, that, that is a very good point, actually. But either way, he will be unflappable. <laughs> no matter what the result, whether they sign him to a 10-year deal or they sack him on the spot, his expression on his face will be exactly the same. And then on Friday night, uh, I was around at your place and we watched the Cats Geelong, uh, Cats uh, Pies game. And uh, it's so weird seeing that scoreline because I was kind of working. I was um, doing some work on the podcast and you were watching the game. So I was sort of only half watching. And I could have sworn that Collingwood were dominating that game. Then in the last quarter, it becomes a 10-point game. Yeah, Collingwood can't kick enough goals at this stage because they did dominate the game. And then they just left it close enough that towards the end, you were like, Geelong might get this. And to be honest, if it had been played at Geelong, based on that, Geelong probably would have won. I reckon Collingwood deserved to, but it didn't give me an incredible amount of optimism about either teams. Right. Right. Do you think it was the Reese Stanley factor? I mean, isn't it? Has there ever been so much conversation around Reese Stanley? No. Not since Nick Rewalt met with his editor. <laughs> And his editor said, Nick, why this whole chapter on Reese Stanley? I don't get it. Well, uh, uh, Nick's bo- entire book is, was actually originally about Reese Stanley. <laughs> that was the entire book. They were like, are you sure you want to spend your entire memoirs just writing about Reese Stanley? Hey, I'm an artist. I'm a writer. It's my vision. You don't tell me what to write. 
Yeah, it, uh, Geelong just... For a team that finished on top of the ladder, Geelong just have not been able to capture the imagination of the wider footy going, footy going public yet, have they? Well, look, Selwood's off his game at yep. the moment. Abbott uh, slowed down a little bit. Uh, Kelly isn't playing as well in the last few weeks. Look, I think they're. Not, I still don't feel like they're far away if they can get it going, and they're terrible off the bye. And the one upside, if you want to look at a positive, is they now don't have a bye again. Mm. So if they won this week, they play consistently through. They're terrible off the bye. Their record off the bye. So they lose off the bye there. They tighten up for this week and they play okay, and then they can have a run at the run at the grand final. It sort of kind of it sort of feels like Chris Scott maybe in an effort to kind of uh, deal with Brody Grundy and throw the magnets around, rather than just sort of play to your strengths and just do the yeah. obvious selection. He tried something that was going to be, you know, a bit of, a bit out of left field, and then you just rob Peter to pay Paul, so to speak. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. I um, I think that um, Blitzars is a great back man and the way that he organises their defence is so much better when he's back there. Yeah, I just think everything's coming up Stanley. That's what I'm hearing. All I'm saying is if you're Reece Stanley, you would have been very happy about the result of that game because it's Stanley time. Well, it also just kind of firms up Richmond as flag favourites now, doesn't it? Because you would probably have yes. Geelong and Collingwood in that conversation and West Coast, I guess, but... With an well, under, I think, I underwhelming think West Coast, low scoring I, final. Yeah, I think Richmond definitely. Big tick for Richmond. I think a bit of a tick for GWS because if they can play that well every week, they could mm. go deep into it. And I think a tick for West Coast definitely. But I'm a bit unconvinced by both Geelong and Collingwood. And it, it's hard to tell where Brisbane will go from here. Well, if you can't beat the, rain, the premiership favourites at your home ground, then it really, it's hard to imagine you could do it on the MCG on the biggest day of the year. Yeah, but you know, you know like if, you know, they've, they've still got to do it, right? I mean, I did love Chris Fagan's like attitude to the whole thing. Like even during the game, you know, when Hipwood gave away that free kick, that uh, diving free kick, like you could see that Chris Fagan, as much as Gill wanted to fly off the handle. He knew that, like, this is a young team. This is all new to them. He's got to sort of, like, keep them controlled. So he just sort of was able to temper it. And even his comments after the game, which is like, well, look, yeah, no, that wasn't great, but we learned a lot. And we need to kind of keep uh, developing. And, you know, we'll take a lot from that game and take it forward. I kind of like that attitude, which is, like, just not throwing so much pressure onto this young team and just uh, uh, allowing them to kind of find their feet. Because they've got a few players who are off the boil. Like, I think I heard someone mention that really what's letting them down is their tall forwards. They're not really getting enough out of their tall forwards, which, you know, in when it comes to final time, you need those big forwards reliable up forward. Uh, <laughs> big forwards reliable up forward. Yeah, it's true, though. I, I think they've got a few players that have big improvement in them. So yep. if some of them could make that big improvement, it makes them a, a much better team immediately. And I think there's some positives. I think there's some other players who are playing better than you know they were. So they weren't far off it in the first half. They if they'd kick straight over the top in the second half, but in the first half, if yeah, if they kick straight and they they looked all right. Like I still think, look, I still think Richmond at their best are better than Brisbane at their best, but. Mm. You know, teams don't always play at their best. And so if you keep getting into a situation where you can play a team, eventually you might beat them. I also think that the team with the best player in the league is probably going to win the flag. <laughs> and that's Dustin yeah. Martin. Like, yeah. he's just so good. And he had a yeah. relatively quiet first half. And then you take him out of the midfield and put him up forward and he kicks five goals. Like, imagine having that at your, as your, at your disposal as a coach. I mean, danger's a lot. You know, it's a similar kind of player, but I think Dusty's got danger at the moment. Yeah, and like that's what Bontempelli has to bring into mm. his game if he wants to be considered, because he got shut down on the weekend and they threw him into the ruck, and that actually was okay for a bit. But he's such a beautiful field, like a kick on the run, but in front of goals, he's terrible. And he's got, if you can send him down, because he's tall enough, and he could play a dusty style role where you just leave him down there when he's resting, and that's when you become elite. And Dustin Martin, like it's it's great to see him back at his best. Like I know it's been a couple of months now, but mm. like it's 
so good coming into the finals, knowing that you know Dustin Martin, you know, is is back being a superstar of the game. Yeah, it's exciting, and just that momentum. Like you just sort of feel if Brisbane did make it to the grand final, I don't know how the the draw works out, but if Brisbane ended up on the MCG against Richmond again, and Dusty starts going berserk like that, and you've got you know. 90,000 predominantly Richmond fans cheering. Like, that's got to be a huge factor. I mean, he's already makes your team a five-goal better team, plus brings the crowd into it, gives you an extra two or three goals on top of that. It's pretty irresistible. Yeah, he's just so Richmond, too. Like, there's yes. just, you know, he reeks of Richmond, Dusty. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's, it, it's, it's exciting. So, all right, looking to head to this week's games. It's funny. We always, every year, you always get tempted into like the team that wins the elimination final. You like to pick them over the team that loses the qualifying final, but it always works out that the team that lost the qualifying final normally ends up better. Do you feel the same about this round or this, this year? Okay. So what are the, what are the, so it's Brisbane taking on GWS and it's West coast taking on Geelong. So West coast take on Geelong at the MCG. Yep. Um, where West Coast have got a pretty good record. I just think, and this is probably not a not necessarily just the first week finals thing. I think West Coast are probably still one of the top three, you know, teams in it, and I, I, it would not surprise me if they go back to back. Like I think if there's a team that really beat Richmond, well, I think if there's a team that could beat Richmond, it's West Coast. I I think. Um, maybe there isn't a team that can beat Richmond, but I think of all the teams that are left in it, if there's one that's set up to be able to beat them, I reckon it's West Coast. Um, I reckon, I, I want Geelong to, I, this is a hard game for me because I picked Geelong to win it all at the start of the season. And I like Geelong and it's a bit of a last hurrah for some of their champions. But if I'm being honest, I think that West Coast are probably more equipped. Their game style their players being in better form. Mm. I just think West Coast are going to win that game. Yeah, I know. I just want to pick West Coast as well, but just something tells me that, you know, it's one of those intangibles that on this show we love to buy into, like the backs against the wall, is that the losing qualifying final team tends to bounce back the following week. Uh, okay, here's what I'm going to say to you. Nick Natanui is going to play on Reese Stanley. Yeah. West Coast. <laughs> West Coast are going to win. It's a like, that would be, Stanley wouldn't it be amazing if Reece Stanley comes back in, Geelong win because Reece Stanley manages to shut down Nick Nat? I don't think, see, but I think Nick Nat is the deciding factor. I think you're much, it's going to be more about the battle of like, uh, you know, uh, who's going to shut down Elliot Yo off halfback? Who's going to shut down the midfield? Uh, Coming out of defence, West Coast are amazing. They've got one of the best back lines going around, and I'm just not sure that Geelong's forward line are in enough form. Or if they have, like, who's their, Gary Rowan's their defensive forward, right? Yeah, Gary Rowan does not And he's have a pretty great out of form. Record. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you talk me around. I guess West Coast are the better team. Um, all right. All right, I'm with you. Nick Natanui versus Reese Stanley. Natanui wins every time. Uh, and, and so the other game is Brisbane, Brisbane and GWS. GWS. Yeah. I mean, in this one, I would be more tempted to say that, yeah, Brisbane lost, but they finished, you know, you know top of the ladder. Um, they're a super team. Um, they beat GWS, but having seen GWS in the flesh at their best, it's going to be a pretty, pretty tough old game, I reckon. Yeah, I I could see Brisbane losing for the same reason the Bulldogs lost, which is just that, you know, GWS has been here before, just yeah. more seasoned, bigger bodies, and I think there's a bit more to play for. Like, even psychologically, Brisbane are a young team. This is their first time playing finals in, what, 14 years yeah. or however long it's been. So there will be a sense of, oh, well, you know, this will happen again next year. Whereas for a lot of these GWS guys, especially the dudes who have just re-signed, well, they've got to win a flag in the next two or three years. Otherwise, it may never happen. So there might just be that extra impetus. But um, who knows? Who knows? I just... if It would be a real sad end to Brisbane's season and Geelong's season. One team finishes top of the ladder and goes out in straight sets. One team goes from 13th or whatever it was to second on the ladder and goes out in straight sets. 
Could that both happen on the same weekend, the first and second team? I mean, probably. It probably could happen. Um, I'm going to say Brisbane win, though. I'm going to say the Gabba, a couple of weeks of experience, Hodgie. I reckon it'll be a really, really close game. I think it's going to go to extra time and be decided in extra time when Brisbane win it at home in extra time. And that is my luck of the week. I'm going to pick GWS. Not that I believe it, but just to make it interesting. And that's my luck of the week. Um, all right. Well, should we finish it up there? Not much else to talk about. Uh, we should mention that the... Uh, the annual tradition of the day after the grand final oh, show yes. at the European Beer Cafe is on sale. Uh, our podcast and the guys from uh, Junk Time AFL podcast, Michael and Adam, uh, We this would be the fourth year, the fourth year? The fourth of year, Of us yeah. doing the live show after the grand final. It's always brilliant fun. But Charlie? Yes, I won't be there. Uh, uh, I'm having, well, my wife is having a baby. Um, due uh, the week before the grand final. Um, I did actually book a ticket down at the start of the year and and Jen was very like uh, positive about me going down. She seemed to think that that wouldn't be a problem at all. But since consulting with all of our other friends who are parents, <laughs> they're like, there is no way <laughs> you're getting out of the house, especially to do a post-grand final show. So I've had to uh, I put my hand up. Uh, we did a fitness test and I put my hand up and said, I, I, I can't play, I'd love to. Um, but maybe I can call in. Maybe I'll, I'll do a, a, a do a phone in. Um, uh, but there's always a special guest. Michael always manages to to get someone good. Maybe even a couple of guests on the show this week. So if you want to go to that, it's at trybooking.com. We'll put a link uh, in the episode description below. Um, anything else to talk about? Don't think so. Play on, not fifteen. Ball. We are two guys, one car.